This episode is brought to you by our sponsors at Adult Time, the ultimate subscription platform for premium adult content. With over 55,000 episodes, 300 channels, and new releases every single day, it's everything you'd want in one place. And you can use promo code Bree Mills, that's B-R-E-E-M-I-L-L-S, to try a free week on us. Assuming you are 18 plus, of course, and you can discover how we do porn differently. Hi, my name is Bree Mills, and I am a porn director with a purpose. Now, throughout my career, I have covered just about every niche and I've created some award-winning films and brands along the way. But now, I'm much more interested in getting to know the real people behind my characters. And that's because I believe adult entertainers can be some of the most powerful role models when it comes to sex ed, consent, empowerment, and wellness. By asking the right questions, our community can really help people better understand themselves. So that's the mission of this podcast. Let's get up close. All right, Siri, welcome to the podcast. Hello. How are you? I'm good. I'm very excited to be here. Awesome. Well, you know, you're obviously one of Adult Time's ambassadors. Uh, You know, we work with you a lot, so I'm super happy to be able to have you on this series and get a chance for everybody to get to know you a little bit better. Um, We did, just for disclosure before this podcast, have to turn off all of our phones because especially mine was activating Siri as soon as we started talking. (laughs) So we're all set now. (laughs) I want you to tell me a fun fact about yourself. I grew up doing martial arts. Like like karate, mm-hmm. uh, and we're talking about like when like really far back when I was like a, a child. Um, I quit when I was sixteen because uh, I was tired of having to tell my friends that I couldn't hang out with them because I have karate tonight. Uh, but I I have brown belts in two different kinds of types of karate. Nice, but zero black belts. Now where uh, this is me being <laughs> ignorant, but like what's uh where does the brown belt rank in the color category of? Is it like directly under the black belt? It's yeah, okay. that's the easiest way to put it. Like a lot of it depends on the style of martial arts, but like brown is typically like really high mm-hmm. up. Um, in the the two that I got a brown belt in, it was in one it was immediately below the black belt, and then the other it was like two steps below. There was like a brown and then a brown with a black stripe and then the black. Nice. So it, basically, you could save any of us at any moment if we need if we needed in <laughs> you for <laughs> self defense. <laughs> I like to think that I could, but. In all honesty, I haven't practiced since I was a teenager. So I'm like, I have no idea how much of this, like, like I know, I still remember some of my forums, like, cause you have to do like a, you know, like form, it's like a memorized dance or like choreography that you have to do when you test for a belt. And I still remember some of them. Well, I will remember that at the very least if we have any karate themed <laughs> scenes. And I might actually now like just write a karate themed scene. Please, knowing oh my, that that's, I that that's that. something you have in your arsenal. <laughs> that would be so much fun. All right. So, you know, uh, I would love to hear a little bit more. I know you've got a really, a really interesting story and a really interesting journey within the adult industry. Um, but before we kind of get into that, let's go way back. Tell us about your upbringing, kind of where where you're from, what your roots are. Um, so my roots are in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I'm very much like a Midwestern Minnesotan girl. Um, and I lived there 
for I was born there and lived there until I was like 12. And then my family moved to Texas to like a, a very boring suburb. Um, so I consider it's kind of like half and half. Like when people ask where I'm from, I'm like, well, kind of several places because Minnesota, where I grew up in Minneapolis, is very different culturally from like where I spent most of my adolescence. So I think I'm like a blend of both. Um, yeah, I mean, I had a, I very much enjoyed my upbringing. I come from a family that's like very musical. Um, my dad was an opera singer when I was a kid growing up. So that was a cool thing. That's that like cool. weird and unique. Like yeah. I would, I grew up like going to watch my dad perform in operas like professionally. <laughs> and did you enjoy opera as a child? I didn't get it, but I, I like, because usually operas are sung in a, a non-English language. So like that was a little weird, but I, I, I always enjoyed it when my dad was in it precisely just because I got to see him like dressed up in a goofy costume, you know, and it was entertaining to me. Like there was one opera that he did and I don't remember what it was called, um, but people who are opera aficionados would probably know exactly from me describing this, but he played like a demon and he had to stand on stilts. So he was like 10 feet tall on stage and that stilts were too tall for him to practice walking on them inside of our house. So he had to like walk down the street <laughs> in the middle of the day wearing That's these the giant stilts. <laughs> so it, it was like there was some cool weird stuff going on in my house when I was a kid. Because yeah, of that. that's awesome. I mean, I, I asked because my, my father was also not not opera singer, but like a big opera fan. And so like every Saturday morning, as soon as it was like. 6 a.m. the opera would be blasting. So my siblings and I grew up hating opera because it was just like always uh, deafening in our house and we didn't get it. But now I appreciate it. For me, it was like trying to fall asleep mm -hmm. as a kid. Like I remember so many nights that it was like, it'd be like, you know, I don't know, whatever time I went to bed when I was a kid, like 9 p.m. or something, 8 p.m. probably. I don't have no recollection. But all I know is that I would be trying to fall asleep and I would hear my dad like banging away on the piano downstairs and like, oh, like just <laughs> but it didn't bother me i just kind of thought it was funny so musical musical family did it did it extend beyond your father's work where you know did you have any siblings or any other members of your family also interested in music yeah my mom is very patently like non-musical like she makes fun of herself for like not being able like she's like i'm tone deaf and i think she's a little too hard on herself but like what my mom, my mom's really, and I think my parents bonded over this since, like, they're still together after all these years. But, like, I think one of the things they bonded on when they first met was their love of music. So even though my mom's not, like, a musician, she is an encyclopedia of, like, music trivia. Like, and it's not, it's, like, pop music, like, anything that is, like, contemporary that, like, she would have grown up knowing. Like, she can, like, name the artist of anything, like, within a second. But she also can do that with most classical music, which is pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. Like, she knows, like, what makes Mozart sound different from, like, any other composer. Nice. A good person to have on that. your trivia team. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually, Trivial Pursuit is, like, a hobby in my family yeah, because nice. of that. Like. <laughs> so uh, you mentioned that you sort of spent uh, childhood in Minnesota and then adolescence in Texas. Mm -hmm. um, tell me about some of your earliest memories of sexuality and the the sort of formation of your own sexuality um what are some of those earliest memories that you have i remember reading about blowjobs and that for me reading about blowjobs about putting a penis in my mouth was like simultaneously exciting and horrifying to me. <laughs> yeah and and i think that stuck with me like it, i guess the thing it's <laughs> i got this idea in my head that 
giving a blowjob was something that required so much skill that I just will like never in my life feel good at doing it. So I'm just going to avoid it. Like, so I basically, I was like so academic about how I read about sex that I freaked myself out away from ever wanting to do a lot of things. And it's so funny that you mentioned that because (laughs) I, I, for a good number of years, I mean, obviously I, I grew up quite on the 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 gay end of the spectrum so I didn't ever want to give a blowjob but I thought it involved <laughs> bubblegum like I didn't I didn't understand like I was very confused so I'm glad that you got to read that book because I was like what is what what do you need to blow you know I still don't understand the it seems like a misnomer you know yeah. like yeah but when was the first time that you remember actually masturbating um there was definitely a period of me not even attempting to like touch myself because I felt like dirty or mm-hmm. like I was doing something bad. Where do you feel that sense of shame came from? I think it comes from like just the general cultural vibe that mm-hmm. like sex is treated like something shameful or bad. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the fact that I moved to Texas right before I started seventh grade meant that I also never got any formal sex education in school because I had been growing up in the Minneapolis public school system and they do sex ed in seventh grade. And so since I moved right before that year, I didn't get it in Minneapolis. And then Texas, Texas just doesn't do it. (laughs) Fuck that state. Um, If anyone's watching, like... I still have a lot of family in Texas, but fuck that state. You should probably Um, (laughs) do some sex education. (laughs) Texas do better. Jesus. Um, Yeah. So I, which is honestly all that is part of why I just wanted, I just kept wanting to consume more and more information about Mm -hmm. this stuff. But yeah, I think that that was a big part of it was like this idea that it's like so taboo that no one's allowed to talk about it openly. And so even though I was so curious, I felt like, I think I was afraid that there was something wrong with me. That I was interested in this. Right. Especially like as a, as a woman, right? Because there's yeah. a lot of pressure on, well, if you're as a woman feeling curious about sexuality, therefore you must be like a Jezebel type mm. character or something like that. I remember I had a little notebook, like one of those little like pocket note, it was like this big, mm-hmm. like a little flip guy that was just, it was unlined. It was blank. It was like a tiny sketchbook. And I would, when I was feeling like horny, I would pull it out and I would draw Sort of like pornographic cartoons. Amazing. Like I, I would literally just like draw boobs on it and then be like, hey, yeah, like, <laughs> and like I, I mean, I'm sure I have like a vague memory of at one point, like because I kept it in like my underwear drawer, like tucked way back, so no one could ever find it. And I remember like having one day where I was like, I'm so bad for doing this, and like tearing it up and like throwing it away, or I might have even like burned it so no one else could ever find it. But it was like. I still feel weird about calling it, like, shame because it never felt truly shameful about any of that. Like, when I was in the act of, like, being horny and drawing these weird cartoons Mm -hmm. or, like, you know, attempting to masturbate, even though I didn't really know how to pleasure myself (laughs) very well yet. Like, I never felt in the moment, like, this is bad or Mm -hmm. that I was guilty for doing it. I think I felt... Like, I needed to judge myself because that's what you're supposed to do. Right. This is sort of societal yeah. pressure. I that felt that it was, it, like, stigmatized, yeah. you know, and I understood that. Um, but it didn't really – it also didn't really stop me from wanting to do it or from being curious, you know. <laughs> I, I have to just say as an anecdote because I did just watch uh, – we have a, a, a movie coming out uh, with you for our Transfixed brand. 
Um, and your character does draw a lot of <laughs> sketches of boobs all throughout that. So, which was improv, everybody. So, I like to think, I like to think that, that <laughs> you may still be doing pornographic cartoons all these years later. This is this is one of my favorite questions to ask because uh, I find it fascinating. If you were to think of the first pop culture or like you know media representation of sexuality that when you close your eyes and you think about that first thing you saw when you were young that kind of made your eyes pop open, what would that be? Once I walked in on my parents watching that movie Chocolat with like oh, yes. Johnny Depp, I like, I don't know, I don't even know how old I was. I remember like they had, I think they had like friends over and they were all four of them were like watching it in the living room and I like wanted to get something off a toy shelf in the corner. I had to go in there and I just like, oh my God, they yelled at me. They were like, leave! Because I, it might have been during a sex scene and they were like, no! <laughs> Which is just very funny to me now because I would not have known the difference. Like, I didn't know what the hell was going on. Like, nah. I made the mistake um, of watching the movie Kids with my dad for the first time, which, uh, yeah. Oh, boy. Speaking of watching, walking <laughs> in and watching sex scenes with your parents, yeah. that I would not recommend doing <laughs> at any age with one's parents. But, um, but yeah, I always find that sort of interesting, like the first thing that flashes. So it was Chocolat with, with Johnny yeah. Depp, and it was a French actress mm-hmm. whose name I can't recall. But yeah, that's a just good like one. bodies on screen. Yeah. Like I, I don't even remember. I still haven't watched that movie as an adult. I've never actually seen it, so I, I have no idea what. But I, there's clearly a sex scene in it, and I almost walked in and saw it, and uh, I was chased out of the room. So there you go. They're th- further <laughs> perpetuating that uh, stigma of uh, you know things that you realizing things that you should not do or see. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> what do you think are some of the biggest myths about female sexuality? That women aren't visual. Mm-hmm. that's that's the one that's the one that drives me nuts because as I just said like I was drawing porn photos for myself like clearly I buck that stereotype and I know so many women who do but it's just this thing that is repeated forever and ever that like oh no women like to read erotica women don't watch porn and it's just like this is shut up like <laughs> it's true <laughs> well it is true because some of the you know, it's, I, I think about just like within our our own audience base. Some of the most hardcore tastes are from female audience members, yeah. right? But yeah, but yeah, there's definitely that that does exist out there. Tell me about how your sexuality evolved over time. So you mentioned, you know, kind of part of your early journey was coming to the realization that you really did want to unpack your own sexuality. So how did that uh, how did that evolve over time? Definitely a journey. Um, I mean, I went from, so my, my earliest introduction to sexuality was, you know, my own mission to understand as much as I could and like reading so much, you know, I didn't even mention like in addition to that, like, you know, that, uh, like sex ed book that I got, I spent a lot of time, this is like early internet days, like early two thousands, you know, and I was, um, My dad was also a programmer. So like I I pretty much had like unfettered access to the Internet. Now, I know the people who are listening to this are probably like, oh, no. And it's like, no, this was still like in an early enough time that like you couldn't there weren't tube sites like I couldn't have found. I I tried to look for porn on a couple of occasions and like it was so hard to find that I was just like, uh -uh." yeah, or it would take forever to download one image or something. Like there wasn't I wasn't finding actual porn. But what I was finding were. 
uh, there was like this website called bolt.com that was like for teens. And it was like a very early like iteration of a social media site. Mm -hmm. And a big feature on there was like message boards. And so there was like, you had to look really hard for it. There was like a very deep, like at like a deep level of like message board after message board, like in layers, there was one that like people would post erotica they'd written. Um, and so that reading some of those, I remember like reading, there were like little queer, like, sort. they were just, like, little cute stories about, like, having sex with someone that you think is cute, like, mm -hmm. that a teenager wrote. And and I would read those, and that kind of started, uh, that's the first time I remember kind of thinking of, like, that there are people who aren't straight <laughs> that are women. Because, like, I had been exposed to, like, gay men to some degree by way of my dad being in the opera. <laughs> like a lot of the other men that he sang with or performed with were openly gay men who were like married to other men and stuff um, or like living with other men. So like that's something I observed or like understood to be normal at a young age, but I, I hadn't like ever seen like gay women, you know? So reading these like erotica stories, I was like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> and... And then I kind of like put it away. I kind of like shoved it under a rug, you know, um, because I didn't, I, w I think I found it interesting, but it didn't feel like that was me, um, despite also being teased about being a lumberjack lesbian in high school, which is very funny that I never like really questioned my own sexuality until much later. Yeah, but um, you had you had other people that were questioning it on your behalf. People would joke. And did you dress like a lumberjack? I wore were you flannel a like every day. Okay, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I had very short hair and I wore flannel every day and like did you play just, on the softball team or No, I didn't do sports in high school, but I was like I I definitely I mean, I literally had like at one point, you know, the thing in the like 2005 that everyone thought was cool where you had like a pixie cut but you styled into a faux hawk. When I see photos of myself from back then, I was like, like, just so gay. You're just so gay. Like, <laughs> of course. And it's so funny because I had never thought about my sexuality in that mm -hmm. way. But I also realize in retrospect that it's because I just, I never, like, I didn't, there was no one I ever, like, really had a crush on. Like, yeah. I was super celibate in high school. I didn't date anyone, men or women, like, girls or boys. I didn't. Why do you think that was? Um, I think part of it was because I was. Uh, because I had consumed so much information about sex and sexuality, it really was that I had this like academic mindset about it where I was like, I don't want to touch that stuff. I don't want to even really fully explore that stuff until I feel like I'm ready because, and I think it was fear-based too. It was like, I don't want to like have sex with someone for the first time and be bad at it. Like I realized mm -hmm. that this is like a huge responsibility and like a thing, like I really blew it up in my mind as being a, a big, big, big deal. Uh, and then also it's like, you know, I'm, have ADHD when that comes with a big perfectionist streak. So some of it was just the like, I'm going to postpone this. I, I don't, need to I make sure be, it, I need to be perfect. It. it needs to be. Yeah. <laughs> it was very intimidating. Yeah. Yeah. So basically I was like super like celibate all through high school. Like I didn't really, I, one guy asked me out on a date and it was the awkwardest time. He tried to kiss me and I was like, mm, take me home. Like I just couldn't, it was too much, too, too much, too fast. Um, so I was just like this with everyone all that time. And then I finished high school and then that was when I started to like be more comfortable with exploring, like I had my first boyfriend and then like I had this job where I worked at a bakery and the like manager of like operations was a very, very attractive, uh, queer woman 
and I had a huge crush on her. And that was kind of the first time that I went, oh, mm-hmm. okay, I'm actually not straight. I don't know what I am still, but I'm not straight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then from there, it just kind of kept building. You know, yeah. I just kept making, very consciously making choices to like bring myself closer and closer to what I felt like would allow me to to explore or like acknowledge whatever the hell my sexuality is. But it felt really important to like to do that, to explore it. Well, like you said, it was sort of a a running narrative all through your life, right? To understand sexuality, even if it was very intimidating, right? To kind of Mm -hmm. try to academically master it. I think the intimidating made it seem more important to me. I was Mm -hmm. like, I was like, why would I be scared of this if it weren't something deeply important to me? Like, Mm -hmm. and I still think that that rings true. Like, I realize that not for every, not everyone's like that. Like I have, you know, lifelong like friends like that haven't for them, it hasn't been this project of their life to like learn deeply about their own sexuality. Uh, You know, it just doesn't hold that level of importance or maybe they just didn't have that many questions in the first place about it. Maybe it just, it just like was what it was. And for me, it's never been that. Which is why it's like, yeah. And I, it's a, also a huge part of why I chose the career that I did. Well, that was going to be my next question, yeah. you know, because that, that's a really, it's really interesting. Um, it would be really interesting to hear about what led you into deciding to make sex work, you know, your career. And was that all connected to that journey of mm-hmm. better understanding? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like super consciously connected to that. Um when I first got the idea that I wanted to do porn, it was when I was in my first year. I did like a gap year before college. So it was like in that year right after I finished high school um, that I was living and working in Austin, Texas and making friends with all these cool people. And there were so many people that I was meeting that were like out and queer. And I immediately felt such a connection with that, with those people in that community that I was like, this has been missing from my life. Like, how do I find more of this? (laughs) Uh, And started, and I was still kind of shy about it though. So I I started spending more time in like online communities uh, that had some level of like queer representation, Um, which is how, you know, I met my first like girlfriend, which we dated long distance, um, which was really rough. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> for a first like experience, you know, in like a it does sound like a pretty typical yeah lesbian relationship. Yeah, she was very sweet though. She flew she flew out to visit me more than once mm-hmm. because I was I I was a uh, saving up for college and had no money to go visit her. Um, <laughs> but she came to visit me and she was she was like my first orgasm. Like she would like we'd have phone sex a lot and she like would like talk me through masturbating, which was amazing. Like to have someone like guide me through that Mm -hmm. in a way that was like, not just for the sake of like being, you know, instructive, but it was like, she was like actively asking me like, how does that feel? Oh, try this then. Like, it was really cool. Like, um, it was what, it was the teacher you needed. Yeah, it it really was like, yeah. If she, (laughs) I wonder if there's a chance that she's actually watching this. And if so, like, (laughs) thank you. (laughs) Um, but, and, and that also led me to watching like queer porn for the Mm -hmm. first time. Um, we talked about this the other day. Yeah. You know? So what was yeah. your, tell us your first uh, porn that you ever watched? Because I think that's an important <laughs> brand to mention. The first time I actively went out of my way to like consume porn it was and bought it was going, I found out about Crash Pad series 
which is a website that is still around. Mm -hmm. and Shout out to Shine uh, Louise Houston. Yeah, Shine Louise Houston yeah. and Jisley and amazing, amazing work there. So I joined Crash Pad series and was just like kind of obsessively like watching everything that that they produced. And I found it to be like so unique, you know, not the first time I had ever seen porn, but definitely for me at that time, it was the first time I'd ever seen porn that felt like meaningful to me, that it resonated with me, that it was super hot and I was masturbating to it. But also I felt like oh, this is like. Imp like this is politically important. This was like 2008, like when the the like no hate campaign was happening and like gay marriage wasn't legal yet in this country. So like it felt really, really important to be that that this that someone was working on this. Yeah. You know? And that you, and that you were you felt representation yeah. within the adult content yeah. you were watching. Yeah. And that so for me, that connected some dots in my head in terms of like. I'm interested in sexuality. I'm still currently exploring my own sexuality and figuring out what that means to me. And, you know, I don't I don't know exactly what it means still, but I do know that it's very, very important as like a personal value. And then also, like, I felt this, you know. At that point, I've accepted that I'm a part of the queer community I, around that same time. I like came out to my family as uh, back then I came out as a lesbian and then sort of like over the years, I, it came, it became like, I'm bisexual. Okay. Like now we're starting to figure things out more, but so like I, I'm a part of the queer community and I think it just resonated so deeply with me to see that you could make porn that is meaningful to people that provides representation that is really needed. And there's like a lot of power in that. Mm -hmm. And it just, it's as soon as that clicked in my head, I was like, that's really what I want to do. So tell us about because you, <laughs> you 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 came into the industry for a time. Right. And then you and then you stepped away from it and came back. So maybe tell us a little bit about that going from seeing Crash Pad series and being very inspired by it mm -hmm. to, you, you know, coming into mainstream porn. What lessons did you learn the first time around? <laughs> and what did you what did you apply for when you came back the second time around? Yeah, there was, oh God, there was so much that happened between me having that idea of doing porn and then actually getting into the industry. First of all, there was like a, four years between that, which is, you know, I like kept going to college, like started like developing my interests as far as like academically and stuff at all the time, still like exploring my own sexuality, realizing that I'm bisexual. Uh, and so by the time I actually was ready to move to L.A. and to pursue a career in porn, I had gotten further away from the idea of exclusively doing queer porn. I kind of had gotten the idea in my mind that what I wanted to do was per pursue a career as a performer that has the most mainstream, like just have a, like a mainstream career. The idea I had in my head was like, well, why can't I just go in and like kind of like snake on in there and like functionally maybe like pretend to be straight. <laughs> but then but then like once I'm in, like yeah. once I have the rapport and I'm like I'm in the industry, then it's like, can't I just do whatever I want? Like <laughs> so that's kind of the intent that I had, which I, I think still kind of like I kind of look back on that and I'm like, oh, you naive cutie. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it, you know, it ended up coming to fruition. Well, it did, yes. But, may yeah. but maybe yeah. not in that initial round. Correct. Yeah. Well, I mean, where things like kind of got off track was the fact that like my initial like getting into the porn industry was I was in a in a relationship that was 
not a good one. Mm -hmm. And uh, that complicated a lot of things. So ultimately, yeah, I started out, I started my career in 2012 and was performing for three years and having a fantastic time and like loving all the work that I was doing. Uh, but just having in my personal life, having a absolutely not fantastic time in a relationship that was very like emotionally manipulative. So ultimately when I retired in like, I think I announced that I was retiring officially in early 2015, but in fact, I had already like retired by that point. Mm -hmm. I think the last shoots that I did were like October, 2014. Um, then I moved away from LA, but yeah, like I had to, I just had to get out of the relationship that I was in. Um, and I kind of hit a massive reset button and was totally completely out of the industry. Like I didn't have socials or anything. Like I had no, I wasn't like, I, I didn't have any way that I was monetizing content either. Yeah. I was like fully done, done. done. I was in civilian life. Um, yeah. And then when I realized that I actually missed the industry a lot and wanted to come back, that was like mid 2019. And I just dipped a toe in by like mm -hmm. making an OnlyFans account. <laughs> but the second time around, I can say like, yeah, that makes all the difference is like having like not having the like burden of being in a relationship that's like stressing me out. Cause I didn't realize, I think when I was younger, how much that part of it was really holding me back. Yeah. One of the things that I really want to use this podcast as a platform for is to share advice and experience that I think is really unique to the sex worker community, but that has a great benefit towards anybody, mm -hmm. you know, any adult, any like healthy sexual being. Mm -hmm. So how do you prioritize your own sort of sexual self-care and health and wellness these days? And what advice would you give to others? I mean, for me, the probably the biggest one, just as a someone who's creating content regularly, is that I specifically make sure that I masturbate regularly. For background, like if for anyone who's watching and, and if you're not an, like a content creator of of sexual content, like it's it's really easy to get into a mindset where it's like, oh, well, I can monetize that. So I may as well save it for like on camera. And like doing that with masturbation, like fucked me up for a minute. Like when I first came out of retirement, I was filming so much solo content, um, which, you know, partly because I just was like, oh, I got to Like, I got to get my bag. But <laughs> but pretty quickly, I realized, like, wait, how long has it it's been two months since I masturbated just for the pure enjoyment of it? And that made me real sad when I realized that. So at that point, I decided, like, no, that can't be the thing. Like, like, I got to. I got to masturbate. <laughs> I got to masturbate more often like and and like just for myself. Yeah. Well, so, but that's something that I've always because I've had I've I've definitely experienced this as well. Like when sex is so much part of your life, mm -hmm. but it's it's in this sort of strange, you know, mm -hmm. like context where we're always thinking about it, but we're thinking about how to monetize it. Mm -hmm. It does have an impact on what sex means as mm -hmm. a private person. Right. It does. And it can yeah. it can really be at the detriment of your sex life because it's all work or or, you know. So how did you did you have to make yourself a schedule? Like, how did you force? <laughs> that separation so that you could still enjoy sex as a human being. It's the most like disappointingly simple thing ever. I just like my favorite vibrator that I own, which is like a little cordless like wand thing. I simply just made sure that I always kept it charged and and in the drawer on my nightstand. Oh, that is a pro tip. 
Because there's nothing worse like, than reaching for the Hitachi and the batteries And it's not charged? Yeah. Like, yeah. No, I, uh, which is why I love, like, there are sex toy companies now that are starting to realize this. And I love it when a sex toy company has, like, made their, uh, like, a charging base for a toy or whatever that, like, is cute to display. Mm-hmm. Because I'm like, I see you. You know, like... It's that's the thing. It's like you got to you got to have it there. It's you it needs to be charged and again, as someone with ADHD, if the thing is cute and I can put it on display, then that's great cuz then I don't forget that I have it. Like. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right, so prioritizing your sexual self-care by making sure that you masturbate regularly mm-hmm. and keeping your toys fully charged at all times. Mm-hmm. And also it doesn't need here's something that I had to get over in in my head cuz I when I think of like me time or self-care, like sexual self-care, kind of what that conjures in my mind is like that I have to have this whole like beautiful ceremony about it, you know, that it needs to be something that feels deeply indulgent. Mm-hmm. And like it can be that. It is great when it is that. But also for me, like a lot of my like me time, like masturbating is literally just like eking one out and then I fall asleep. And that, you know what? There's benefits to that. Definitely. And there's nothing wrong with that. So I'm like a big fan of like, I hate to like gender it sort of, but I do think that there's definitely like stereotypes with gender. Like I talk to my my partner, you know, and he'll I hope he doesn't mind me saying this like publicly. I, whatever. <laughs> he's I know he's said it publicly, so fine. I'm gonna I'm gonna put him on blast. But we'll talk and, and he's sometimes just like to entertain myself, I'll be like, How many times have you masturbated today? Especially if I'm like out of town. And yeah. he's like, uh, four? Like like, because not everyone's like that, but he's one of those people that has the capacity to do that. And mm-hmm. so for him, it can be a thing that's like, it does, it, it's no less gratifying, but it can just be like, oh, I just, I just want to come real quick. Yeah, like, quickie. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because that, that question, um, when I was doing our How Women and How Men Orgasm series, I, I was sort of expecting that same response where the guys would say, you know, I do it multiple times a day mm-hmm. and with with women it would be much less frequent. Mm-hmm. But it was actually the opposite. Now, mind you, I'm talking to all performers, right? Yeah. So, but, you know, almost every female performer I spoke to, not everyone, but a high percentage of them were saying, you know, multiple times a day. And almost every guy was like, I don't got the time. <laughs> You know, like if I, I have, so to say, I have to save it for work, too. but it yeah. kind of goes to that, that, yeah. like that vicious cycle of, you know, what sex becomes when you're a sex worker, right? Where you got to always think about prioritizing for work. So. Yeah. Oh, it's so common, especially my guy friends in the industry. It's like, you know, even when I, when we're talking about shooting content, you mm-hmm. know, and they'll say like, oh, well, I don't know if I should shoot content today because I have a scene tomorrow and I yeah. need to like not come. I got to save it up. And I'm like, Sucks for you. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you just go back and you're rubbing one out at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I don't know if, I mean, I feel like it's much more common for women to be multi-orgasmic, but I've read that like there are women who just don't, who aren't at all. And that's, I don't know what it's like to ever, to be in someone else's body, but I'm so multi-orgasmic that it's like, sometimes I'm like, am I, is this bad? Am I going to like faint if I come too many times in a so row? So what's your like, average number of orgasms per sesh? <sighs> If it's like, like, so like in my personal life with my partner, cause we are, we're super like compatible sexually. It, I mean, my average with him is like eight times probably like good. And it's, and it, each one is like topping the other one. So it really does like, I will do when I come really hard, I'll like, like his favorite story is that I like slap myself. Um, 
did not know that I did this. Like literally I like lost control of a limb and that limb decided to just slap myself in my face. So <laughs> it's, it's kind of hilarious. Randomly flailing arms. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what about when you're, when you're solo and you're masturbating is, are you someone that's a one and done or multiple times every time? Oh no, it depends. Mul multiple times. Sometimes it'll be like multiple times, probably at least like four times. And then I'll be like, all right, we're done. Come on. Like we're good. We're good. Or I'll think that like, I just can't handle anymore. Like my clit is just like, ah, and so I'll set down the vibrator and then three minutes will go by and I'll be like, you just got to let the waters calm down a little bit, right? <laughs> yeah. And then you go back. All right. So we talk a lot about uh, consent, obviously, in, in all of our, on all of our sets and the work that we do professionally. How have you brought that same sort of emphasis on consent within your own private life? And again, I think this is something that can be really valuable to educate um, viewers on, um, how they can approach bringing consent into their own sex lives. Not being afraid to, to talk about it in like a, just an honest and frank way. Um, and I know for a lot of people, if you're not used to that, it can feel very awkward. It can, it can feel sort of like, like forced, like, like, oh, like let's carve out time to like have this talk. And I, I get that. Cause it's not really, especially growing up and, you know, Anyone who grew up in a place like like I did in Texas, it's like talking openly about sex is just so taboo. It doesn't happen. Like mm -hmm. you don't get the proper education around it. So I get the sort of anxiety around that um, or feeling foolish in some way for wanting to like have a, you know, a like an outline discussion of sex before the sex is happening. Um, but it doesn't need to be like it doesn't need to feel like something that's that like measured, you know, I think a really fun kind of way to approach something like that is kind of making it a game. And I mean, like literally you can get games that like, like one of my favorite games is, uh, it's like a, like a party, like card game, but it's, I think it's called we're not really strangers. And there's several, I have a bunch of like little card games like that, um, that are meant to be played in like groups of friends or whatever, but there are some where it's meant to actually be played one-on-one. -on -one. Or like in an intimate setting mm -hmm. with someone that you're like romantic or sexual with. And I find those to be really fun ways to like start a discussion about sexual interests and eventually boundaries, you know. And it kind of takes the pressure off because it could just be like a date night activity. Yeah, and then for sure. It can even turn into like foreplay before sex. But all, all along the way, you're like learning about your partner's interests and their boundaries and when you have a prompt from like a, a silly card game, it takes the pressure off of you to feel like you're you're like pushing the discussion in a certain direction. Yeah, um, no, that's actually fantastic advice. Um, mm -hmm. I, those conversation starter decks, I know there are a bunch of them, mm -hmm. uh, and that that is a really great suggestion for date night. So I actually had one recently yeah. that really uncovered something interesting, and it was uh, so I was playing this game with my partner and. Uh, there was, there was a question on the card that was like, what's a, and it, this particular game has like a symbol in the corner. If it's like a spicy or NSFW question, it had the symbol in there. So we know that it's supposed to be like a spicy question and the card or the prompt said like, what's a text message you would really like to receive? And I was like, Oh, mm -hmm. I'm thinking. <laughs> and, um, you know, I'm really open with my partner, about like all my sexual interests, but Immediately when I thought of that, what's a text message I would want to receive? I thought of the movie Secretary. 
<laughs> which you which know, is probably the answer of a lot of people. Yes. Like, what was the first media yeah. <laughs> representation yeah. of sexuality? Yeah. I saw. Yeah, I thought of the movie Secretary, and I thought about some of the scenes in that movie, and so I was about to like give my answer to this question prompt, but I started it by saying like, "Oh, well, you know the movie Secretary," and he goes, "No, I've never seen it," and I was like, "What?" And I actually, I was like, "We've been together for a while," and I was like, "How have you never seen this movie?" So the next night, I made him watch it with me, <laughs> and. That, so it was just really kind of sweet that this like game had opened up this door to this other thing. And so now he's like watched Secretary and he and he loved it. And he was like, he actually told me, like, I feel like I understand some more things about you because knowing that you like loved this. Mo like I saw that movie when I was like 15, mm -hmm. you know, and loved it instantly. Yeah. And I've, I'm not in a full, I'm for the record, I'm not in like a dominant submissive like lifestyle relationship at all by any means. Yeah, that movie's just hot. But that movie <laughs> is hot as hell and it means a lot to me. Yeah. Like, <laughs> So sharing that with someone was fun. And it yeah. did lead to some fun, like, you know, sexual role play discussions or like some expanding of like discussing boundaries and interests. Mm -hmm. So it was just did you a, get the text message thing. that you hoped for afterwards? Or are you still waiting for it? I'm waiting for it. OK, good. but I get it because I'm out of town right now. So it's like, you know, there's a lot of distance there. There you go. <laughs> so this uh, this this series is sort of created in honor of Up Close, which is our newest studio at Adult Time that is taking on unscripted content. So content without a story, all sex focused. And we wanted to root all of our series in projects that really tried to celebrate authentic female sexuality and pleasure. Having shot a lot of different types of content over the years, maybe if you could share your thoughts on the importance of showcasing authentic female sexuality in content, um, like projects like what we're doing. Oh. I mean, it's really hard to underestimate the importance. You know, I love one of the reasons that I love being an ambassador for adult time is because I see what you're working on and like the direction that you take with all of these projects. And I'm like, yes, so much. Yes, because it's it's needed and it's better now than it was when I first started out. And I know you know that, too. Like we've talked about about how much things have changed in the last like decade or so. But it's, still, I mean, we, we're always going to need more of that. Um, you know, I see it in like friendships that I have with, you know, other women my age and like hearing their struggles with dating and their sex lives. Mm -hmm. You know, I see it in, I just see it in, in my fans DMing me, you know, and telling me like personal things about their dating relationships. Um, and I think it's, you know, if as an industry, we're not acknowledging that, uh, I don't, I don't want to, it's, it's a little politically sensitive to say that our industry is responsible for educating people because we're, that's not the point of us existing. It's, we're an entertainment industry, but also I think it's a little bit naive to, to pretend that no one is trying to be inspired by watching porn, you know, to, yeah. to allow that to inspire their personal sex lives. Yeah. We're definitely the default. Yeah. So, so maybe we're not, we don't maybe need to say like, oh, we're here to educate because we're not, but like we can acknowledge that we are providing inspiration to people in some way and take that responsibility seriously and try to be the best source of inspiration that we can. And like, we're not doing that if we're not being honest about how women orgasm, how women like to have sex which isn't to say that women are a monolith, because obviously we're not, but like there's just been so much misrepresentation for so long mm -hmm. that like there needs to be a lot more effort put into like being honest and, and accurate and like, you know, 
wait till you see how I masturbate because it's probably it's probably not as interesting as a lot of people think. Like, but it's real. <laughs> I love that. Is that is the best selling like sales pitch for your episode of How Women Orgasm for sure. But I can say having you know yeah uh, yesterday we were working together on another uh, project for Up Close. And, you know, it was just a joy to see not only all of the female talent that we had on set that day, like clearly just having a really good time, but also all of your male counterparts that were also like, thank goodness, like I just, I want to make sure she has a good time. And so it's, it's nice when you kind of lift that veil of we have to, you know, pretend to be these characters or pretend to be these stereotypes and just like have a good time. It's that's yeah. quite refreshing, I'll say, as a director, you know. So yeah. <laughs> so I'm I'm very very happy that you were part of that. I'm, we're obviously so happy that you're part of Adult Time, and mm. and uh, and I want to thank you for sitting down and chatting with me today. This could be like the part part one of like t- a ten part know, conversation. Like it could go on forever. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you, Siri. I appreciate you. Thank you, Adult Time Ambassador Siri Doll. Of course, we're going to have her on this podcast. I hope you enjoyed that convo as much as I did. I mean, I always love talking to Siri. I could talk to her like forever. But today we got to talk about stuff that we don't normally get to talk about, which is all of her experience and what led her to being the incredible human being she is today. I think a few of my favorite highlights were that she was so academic about her approach to sex growing up that that really uh, informed her lifelong journey and exploration of her own sexuality. But while she was being staunchly academic, she was also drawing sort of boob cartoons and hiding them in her drawer. So amazing combo. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to give Siri some love, please follow her on all her links that we've got listed below. You can also support us and give us some love by liking this episode, by leaving a comment, by subscribing to our channel. In whatever way you want to support us, we appreciate it. We appreciate you. We'll see you next week. Thank you.